welcome back. And if you're new to my podcast, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. So let's talk about bad habits. What do you think about those? I think they are one of life's greatest destroyers. If you're anything like me, you have a bad habit or two you'd love to get rid of. And like me, you probably tried breaking those bad habits only to realize how tough the process can be. As a coach, I've helped countless others change their habits, covering everything from fitness to eating to work, finances, and relationships. But regardless of the specific habit, I'm often asked the same frustrated question. Why can't I stop doing this bad habit? If only we could just stop our bad habits, our lives would be so much easier, right? I mean, if we could just wrinkle our nose or snap our fingers or take a pill, something, just to make it all just go away. Unfortunately, just stopping is rarely a successful strategy for behavioral change, particularly when it comes to bad habits. So if we can't simply quit our bad habits, how do we change them? The good news is the science of habit formation and behavioral change has come a long way in recent years. We now have greater insight into how our brains work and how to use that data to overcome unhelpful habits. So let's explore some of that today. But before we do, please let me introduce myself. Hi there. My name is Dr. Kelly Ray, and I'm a mindset coach counselor, notably known as the inner critic tamer. And I am passionate about helping others just like you and me who have survived things perhaps we don't like to talk about, but we know we want to because we want to be better not just for ourselves, but for our kids, our families, and our community. I'm obsessed with teaching others how to tame their inner critic, that inner childhood conditioning, or as I'd like to say, undo that crap that happened to you and maybe keeps you stuck and teach you how to heal from it in order to live the vibrant life you were designed to do. And maybe that is a bad habit you just haven't been able to kick During this episode, we're going to be talking about why it's so doggone hard to drop a bad habit like it's hot, and more importantly, understanding the programming of a bad habit in order to reprogram it. Think back to how you started your day. Perhaps it went something like this. You woke up, you turned off the alarm, you checked your phone, went out to the kitchen, turned on the coffee maker, went to the restroom, crawled back into bed under the warm covers, took some time to meditate or set your intention for the day, then got up, made your bed, fixed your cup of coffee, checked your email and social sites, took a shower, brushed your teeth, got dressed, made your breakfast, packed your lunch, grabbed your keys, drove to work, bought a coffee, greeted your coworkers, sat at your desk, and turned on your computer. In those few short hours, it's likely you performed dozens of activities 
with little conscious thought or effort. Those activities are habits. By repeating them daily over an extended period of time, they become ingrained to the point where you don't need to even think about them. You just do them. In fact, if you were to just as your own little test, consciously think about everything that you do the moment you open your eyeballs in the morning before you leave to work. See how many of them you actually think about that you're doing rather than just arbitrarily just doing them because you've done them for so long. For the most part, these automatic habits that we have are helpful. Our day would feel so tedious if we had to consciously think about each action we performed. Instead, habits are created and executed like a background program in your brain so you can conserve energy for other more challenging tasks. Now, this is all well and good for the helpful habits, but the brain doesn't differentiate between good and bad habits. All habits, good and bad, are stored deep in the brain as embedded programs ready to execute on cue. Each of those programs has three components, a trigger, a behavior, and a reward. As a practical example from above, let's, let's say I'm in the habit of checking my phone immediately after waking up in the morning. The trigger is waking up. The behavior is checking the phone. The reward is a little hit of dopamine or that feel-good brain chemical that's released as your email pings or social media notification lights up. All habits have this same structure, whether they're typically helpful, like drinking water, meditating before bed, or going to the gym, or less helpful habits, like buying chocolate at the supermarket stand when you're ready to check out, or watching TV until midnight, or eating dinner while you're scrolling through social media. In each, there's a trigger that prompts us to perform the behavior and there's some kind of payoff at the end. Once we're in this loop, we'll continue to repeat the process until that habit becomes ingrained. And the longer the habit is repeated, the more deeply it's embedded. Now, this is great news for the good habits because it means with practice, repetition, and time, will no longer need to think about doing them. However, it also explains the difficulty many of us feel when trying to break a bad habit. We're trying to undo weeks, months, or even years of a behavior that's embedded as an automatic program. We may know on a conscious level that a habit is no longer serving us, but releasing its grip can feel tough. So, what can we do? 
We need to reprogram our brains to break the habit loop. So successfully breaking habits requires disrupting the loop. There are many options and opinions on how to break a bad habit, but I'm going to share a seven-step process that works, and it's backed by science. So step one is become aware. The first step in any habit change is to become aware of the behavior and importantly, the trigger. Since we perform habits automatically, it may take some time to pinpoint the trigger. So next time you notice your bad habit, slow down and work backwards. Ask yourself, what triggered you? So continuing with the phone example earlier referenced, we can see that the trigger is waking up and the behavior is checking the phone. Number two, the step two is to choose to change. I cannot begin to tell you how important step two is. Once we're aware of a habit, we then need to make the choice to change. This step is crucial because if we're not willing to change the habit and take responsibility for altering our behavior, then attempts to break the habit will falter. At this point, it can be helpful to reflect on our reasons for wanting to break the habit in the first place. This will reinforce your desire to change. So here are a few questions you can ask yourself to get started. Why is the bad habit unhelpful? What will happen if I don't change? What are the benefits if I do change? Number three, step three, change the environment. The simplest way to break a habit is to not be exposed to the trigger. For example, if we only eat chocolate while watching television at home and we donate our television so it's no longer in the house, that's a valid but perhaps extreme way to remove the trigger and break the habit. But that's not going to keep you from using your phone as a television and munching on the chocolate, right? For most habits, we can't eliminate the trigger, but we can reduce our exposure to it by changing our environment. In the phone example, the trigger is waking up. You can't eliminate that, right? But you can make sure your phone is not within easy reach when you do wake up. You could move it to another room. You could leave it downstairs, keep it in the garage. Those additional steps make it harder to perform the unwanted behavior. Step four, replace the behavior. Habits form because they deliver a reward. Most times that reward is feeling good. Thanks to dopamine. When we're hungry, we eat, then we feel good. When we go to the gym, we exercise, then we feel good. When we're stressed, 
we meditate or do some deep breathing exercises, then we feel good. In other words, we're wired to seek out things that make us feel good and habits are no different. This step is where many people fail because they believe they should just stop the bad habit. Unfortunately, our inbuilt drive to feel good overrides our willpower when we're exposed to the trigger. We still seek the reward our bad habits give us. That's why replacing the behavior with one that delivers a similar reward is so important. Put another way, the trigger remains the same. The feel-good reward is still there, but the intervening behavior needs to change. So keeping with our phone example, you could swap checking your phone with a more helpful activity such as stretching. Your trigger, waking up, stays the same. Your reward, or that feel good, is still there, but you're now stretching instead of checking your phone. Step five, get support. When making behavioral change, it's important to be supported in your endeavors. Change can be hard. So having a network to support that change and hold you accountable can be the difference between success and failure. It may be as simple as telling a friend or a colleague or a family member that you're changing a bad habit. Or it may mean surrounding yourself with others who have values and beliefs similar to yours like a gym, club, team, or professional organization. Keeping with our phone example, I'm going to run this phone thing to death, you could tell a friend about your change and ask that he or she check on how you're doing with this each time they see you and how it's coming over the weeks. Are you, are you keeping your phone out of your room? Are you keeping your phone where it's not so easily accessible? Another example of support would be working with a coach, somebody like myself, someone who knows your objective can provide you with both emotional and tangible tools to use and serves as an accountability partner. Number six, monitor and track. In habit formation, there's a concept called don't break the chain that helps reinforce new behaviors. Basically, By tracking your new behaviors in a visible way, it means we're less likely to break the chain and fall back into bad habits. For example, sticking each day in your calendar when you perform a new habit is a simple way to visualize your progress and provide momentum to keep going. Ticking it off, use a piece of paper, notepad, whatever. Depending on the behavior you're changing, a simple calendar could work or a habit tracker, um, an accountability app, or a results log. The tracking doesn't need to happen forever. I suggest tracking for six weeks, then assessing where you're at in the progress. 
is is what you're doing working? Is there something that needs to be reevaluated, or is it an opportunity to see how far you have successfully come and track again for another six weeks? Tracking is simply a tool to help reinforce the new behavior until it becomes an automatic habit. Remember those background programs that are running. Step seven, repeat, repeat, repeat. The saying, old habits die hard, is so true. It may have taken months or years to develop your bad habit, whatever that may be. Your new, more helpful habit will take just as much repetition and practice to becoming fully embedded. And continued awareness is important as the old habit will always be there, stored deep in your brain as an automatic program. The key is to practice the new behavior consistently and persistently until it becomes a stronger neural pathway in your brain, overlaying the previous old habit. Again, with the phone example, you need to practice your new behavior, stretching, for example, until it becomes the normal response to the trigger, waking up. So let's begin to wrap up this episode. One last key component that I think worth mentioning is practicing delayed gratification. Gratification is an important factor in habit forming. It entices us to seek immediate rewards rather than long-term benefits. If you've ever taken a basic psychology course, you might have heard of the marshmallow experiment. The experiment explains why we learn to why we lean towards instant gratification system over the delayed gratification system. In this experiment, Stanford researchers analyzed children's behavior when they were offered a choice between eating one marshmallow now, a small reward immediately, or two marshmallows if they waited for 30 minutes, a larger reward for waiting. Most of the kids displayed a behavior known as instant gratification, meaning that waiting for the larger reward was nowhere near as good for them as waiting for one marshmallow right now, immediately. And is that not kind of where we have been moving towards as a society with having these phones? I know I've just beaten the phone up as an example through this whole episode, but it bears Sharing one other example is everything that we need to do now pretty much is at the hand of your phone. You can make a phone call. You can send text message. You can send emails. You can be on social media. You can do your banking. You can look for a map to get you to where you need to go. You can listen to music. You can exchange currency, money, crypto, whatever, all of this You can order food. You can do anything pretty much from your phones, and it's instant. 
does it make it any wonder why maybe even changing a, an old habit, a bad habit, a habit you no longer want, seem even more impossible because we are so used to that instant gratification. Instant gratification is an adult phenomenon too. It's hard to wait for reward, the dopamine hit. We want it right now. Delaying gratification requires mindful attention to your cravings, your urges, the rewards, and the consequences. After considering all of those items, it then requires a thoughtful decision. If you are operating purely on instinct, on impulse, or on desire, you will be more likely to choose the thing that makes you feel good right now. The ability to delay gratification is a muscle that needs to be exercised regularly in order to become fully developed. And I think for many, we have gotten out of that practice, out of that exercise. We must practice, practice, practice. If it is an underdeveloped, or weaken to muscle that we have, it makes it challenging to resist instant gratification. What you need to understand will pop up when creating new habits as you move away from the old ones. We've, it seems like that's where a big, another big failure happens is that we think that if we just have a happy, positive mindset and we just practice one thing that there isn't going to be plateaus along the way. There isn't going to be bumps along the way. There isn't going to be something that triggers us along the way. We are fooling ourselves if we believe that to not be the case. It will happen. And and we need to leave room for that to happen. You know, it gives us an opportunity to see where we are in our progress. Here's what I know. Our brains are neuroplastic, meaning that they can change. The brain is able to create new neuropathways with repeated thoughts, urges, and behaviors over time. So stick with it. Focus on the long term rather than the short run. Practice delaying gratification from one or two days to one or two weeks and so on. Remember, you're needing to set yourself up for success, not failure. And if we're leaping way too far, then we leave the opportunity for failure to happen. But you also want to make sure you're kind of pushing yourself a little bit further than you're comfortable with so that you can actually have some growth. Remember how it feels to be stuck in a negative habit pattern? And keep your mind focused on the potential for positive outcomes. It's kind of a fine line, a fine little dance is you want to be reminded of what it's like to be uncomfortable and miserable and I don't like that my clothes are too tight if for instance you're wanting to lose weight or get in shape. The instant gratification would be, well, I'm just going to go get me some stretchy pants or I'm going to go buy a bigger size. And immediately then I'm no longer uncomfortable and I don't really need to work on that bad behavior of 
eating my chocolate while watching TV. No, that's not the answer. Don't don't do that. You want to be reminded a little bit of what you're wanting to move away from and what you're wanting to move towards. Lastly, instead of telling yourself that you can never break a bad habit, try adopting a more positive mindset. Again, working with the coach or somebody like myself, I help you work on your languaging. I help you work on the words that you're using and saying and how they impact your life positively or negatively. Open yourself to the possibility that you can stop the cycle and give yourself the encouragement needed to do so. A phrase that I often use myself when I'm wanting to make a shift or a change is, where my focus goes, my energy flows. Meaning, what I focus on becomes my reality. So if I'm always focused on the shift or the change, and that it's going to be super, super hard, then I'm more than likely going to not follow through with it. But if I'm focused on the gain, what is it I'm doing? Why am I doing this? For what reason? And I'm assessing at the very beginning, it might be uh, at the end of the week. Did I, did I do that thing that I set out that I did? You know, did I move more? Did I... Did I drink more water? Did I, I don't know, whatever it may be for you. And I I assess that. And then, you know, I look what went right. I always look at what went right first. Because again, this is part of reprogramming your brain. Your brain is automatically going to go look for the things that didn't go right, that you didn't do well, that you may have missed up on. You don't even have to think about that. It just happens automatically. So you have to train your brain differently. You have to first start with what went right. It's so funny because when somebody says, hey, um, I got some good news and bad news. What do you want to hear first? I always want to hear the good news first. I don't want to hear the bad news. Why? With the good news, there's something that we could probably walk away from to help us deal with whatever the bad news is. But if we're taking the bad news first, the good news may not seem as great. I don't know. Just kind of a goofy way that I've worked my brain. I always want to be looking towards helping to not go into that that repeated pattern of you know, that's that survival brain, they call it, where you're always looking at what's not right, what's not going well. And we can change that. It takes a conscious effort. I'd like to leave you with one of my favorite quotes about habits. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit by Aristotle. If you have found this episode helpful or know someone who could use a little extra help or support along their way, I'm going to encourage you to share this podcast. I'm also going to encourage you to follow it so that you can get updated every time a new episode is loaded for you to to hear. Moreover, if you'd like to get in touch with me or could use a little extra help outside of these episodes, then I'm going to give you some ways that you can connect with me. I'm on Instagram at Ask Dr. Kelly Ray. Kelly Ray is spelled K-E-L-L-Y-R-A-E. I'm on TikTok at 
Dr. Kelly Ray. I'm on Facebook at Dr. Kelly Ray B, B as in Brown. My website is drkellyray.com. And my email is drkellyray at gmail.com. Until next week, please know I send you so much love.